UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, Howling in the Street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. Should be recording right about now. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have another fascinating guest back with me today. Um, simulation theory is uh, a huge topic right now. It seems like everybody's talking about it. And my guest that I had on tonight, I first heard him on his appearance on Art Bell. And I think he recently won a pro- no, some kind of award for his theories on simulation theory. And who I'm speaking about is Jim Elvidge. Jim Elvidge. He's the author of the book, Digital Consciousness, A Transformative Vision, and also um, The Universe Solved. Um, he believes that we're in a simulated reality or digital reality. Um, it's I, I totally agree uh, that we could be in something. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit more about my guest before we start. Jim Elvidge holds a master's degree in electrical engineering. He has applied his training in the high-tech world as a leader in technology and enterprise management as a regular speaker at tech conferences. Elvidge's first book, The Universe Solved, presented evidence that our reality may be a pro- under program control. Nine years later, scientists, technologists, and futurists world over speculate that our reality is a digital simulation. Elvidge's research has continued well beyond the simulation hypothesis to a true scientific foundation for digital consciousness theory. And he lives in Santa Monica, California. And I want to give him a big warm welcome back to the show. Jim, thank you for coming back on my show. How are you? Yeah, thanks very much, Rob. I really appreciate you inviting me back. And I've been doing great. Um, Great to be back on the show. So I, I remember our first conversation. It was amazing. And, and to quote Art Bell, when you were on Art Bell, I don't know if you remember when he said this, kind of when you were talking about the simulation with Art, he said he brought up a good point. He said everything's in the perfect place for reality to happen, like the sun's in the right place. The earth is right where we need it to be. Every are our foods here, um, it, plants, you know, and they have seeds for to reproduce. Everything's very weird. It seems like it's put in place like the Sims almost. Does that, does yeah. that sound, I mean, like, is that a good place to start? <laughs> That's a great place to start. Um, I call that the finely tuned universe. I mean, it's, there's so much to that topic, like even down at the, the subatomic level, you know, the weight of a proton, the ratio of the weight of a proton to a neutron or electron, the, you know, the amount of the charge. Like if you change some of these parameters by the tiniest, tiniest fraction um, the, you know, the, the entire universe would have collapsed within microseconds, you know, after the Big Bang or whatever. So, you know, it, it's it's astounding that it all lines up as perfectly as it does. In fact, there have been some people who have put some probability numbers on this to be like, you know, in the order of one in, you know, one followed by hundreds of zeros, which is a ridiculously huge uh, number. So, so there has to be an explanation for it. And there, there are a few, there, there are a couple explanations that go outside of 
my theory. My theory is easily the, the simplest and the most logical one. But, you know, some of the other explanations are things like, well, all these other universes exist uh, with with the other sets of parameters. They just all, you know, fell apart. And so the only reason we think that we're in this special one is because it was the only one that could exist. But that sort of implies that, you know, that reality created you know, bazillions of these universes and they, and most of them just fell apart. And it's like a super inefficient and super illogical way to think about it. Um, there's another one, which, which I kind of like, and it relates a little to some of Stephen Hawking's work, which is like an evolutionary thing. Maybe our, our, our universe didn't start with the, you know, the perfectly tuned uh, parameters that it has. And it just kind of evolved that way over time. But if that happened, then the evidence when we look back in time through telescopes and some of the scientific experiments that go on that show that, you know, we're seeing, we can see, you know, 13 million, 13 billion years in the past um, with, with deep telescopes. And it doesn't look like physics really changed much in that time frame. So that argument doesn't really make much sense either, which kind of leaves, you know, the simulation argument, which is a perfect explanation for it. You know, if you play a if you play a simulation video game, uh, like a fantasy game or something like that, it is ideally tuned for the users and, and uh, you know, has the right amount of stuff in it to, to play that game. And so, you know, it's kind of logical that that might be the case for us. What, what do you think about, I know this is going to sound funny, but what do you think about the fact about doppelgangers and the Mandela effect? Those are two separate subjects, but I think they're both signs that we could be in some simulation theory. Like doppelgangers, it seems like there's another version of ourselves out there in this universe. Like it's almost like whoever programmed this universe or whoever programmed this reality only made certain amounts of humans up. Like he made them made like maybe 20 to 50 different, probably 50 or 100 different variations. I'm sure there's probably a lot more than that, okay, because there's billions of people in the world. But it seems like a lot of the same people have similar characteristic traits, and that could be because a lot of us grew up together, but I think it's more than that. I think if you look deeply, I think there's somewhere in another part of the world you have a doppelganger of yourself. I have a doppelganger of myself, and I think maybe we even have versions of ourselves in parallel realities, which is even going a little bit further. But I don't know. I'll let you respond to that first before I go any further. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea of doppelgangers is kind of interesting because even without simulation theory, uh, there's a mathematician named Max Tegmark says if the universe is as in infinite or as large as, as people think it is, then, then there has to be the same configuration of molecules somewhere you know and how and the only question is like how far away does it have to be on the average you know to, to make another me and maybe it's uh you know 10 to the 37 light years i don't know what it is he actually calculates some of these numbers out so even with a sort of traditional view of the universe that the idea of doppelgangers is possible and exists but i think that's a i think that's you know kind of outrageous it, it's certainly something that we'll never be able to experience but you bring up something i think is a far more interesting, which is the idea of um, characteristics that, that people have. And I've done some research on, you know, you, you know, the old um, idea about nurture versus nature. You know, what is it? You know, why do people, uh, you know, why do identical twins brought up in the same way with the same genetics and the same parents have uh, completely different personalities, completely different value systems sometimes? And it's not always, but 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 it's different enough um, to 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 imply that there has to be something more than genetics and environment, because 
you keep you know it, doing the experiments that they do on on uh, say identical twins and then identical t twins that were separated at birth and then fraternal twins they can kind of tease out the correlations between you know nurture and nature and these actual characteristics intelligence or whatever it is but it doesn't make sense and, and so so that tells you that there's something more to it and you mentioned like templates or something i i don't know about that but i do think that our I, I believe in reincarnation and i think our past lives actually kind of mold our values and if you think of ourselves as not just this you know meat puppet that has a um, a brain that has formed our our value systems and stuff but really a consciousness a conscious entity um, where the seed of it is out there somewhere, it's not in the brain, it's somewhere else. And that that entity has actually essentially been immortal, um, has lived for a long time, maybe had different incarnations on earth. Then that entity has evolved because of a whole different, you know, past than, you know, the last 30 years of having the same parents and the same genetics and the same environment. And so it, it makes total sense if you believe in reincarnation that, that would explain this, difference between nature and nurture and you know actual characteristics of, of individual people that's so interesting now what do you think about the mandela effect like in and and i'm like the, the idea of even parallel realities and dreams like that i know those are three different subjects but they can all kind of almost correlate because it, i'll just explain what i'm talking about like dreams are weird because like when you when you're in a dream, it seems like very real. You can live out a whole other lifetime in a dream. So that makes connects me to parallel realities. And then Mandela effects are weird because it's just like it's it's something you feel like you you knew that you had the the you knew it was the right way, but now all of a sudden it's completely different. And it's yeah. it's it, it's like and you know I I wonder if if we just remembered something wrong or if if that's actually a glitch in the matrix. What do you think? Well, yeah, I think there are probably certain cases where uh, we remember things wrong and there might be a reason for it. For example, the whole Mandela effect is named after Nelson Mandela, as you know, and and it, it came from the observation that a lot of people seem to think that he died in jail, but he didn't. You know, he you know went on to rule South Africa for a while, lived to a ripe old age and everything. Um, and so why might people think that? Well, it could have been, and, and I don't know, I haven't really researched this, but it, it could have been a, uh, uh, a newscast that was confusing or something. And then people started talking about it and it sort of gets its own legs then. So th there may be some of these things that people point to and say, oh, that's a Mandela effect, but it's really just, you know, poor memories. But then there are others that I think really have happened. I, you know, there, I have a couple of favorite ones um, and, you know, I, I do think that that there, there's a possibility that what we remember is different than what happened. And when I say what happened, that's a loaded statement. And even the word reality is a loaded statement. So let's take, for example, um, you know, let's just take a hypothetical example. You know, you're living through your life and some uh, somehow the reality that you're living in has replaced a whole bunch of memories in your head. So in your, and, and I shouldn't even say head, you know, it could be uh, your consciousness. And so you have a whole different impression, maybe for what happened on October 23rd, you know, 2001 or something like that. You have a whole different impression of that than what somebody else has. Well, who's right and who's wrong? You know, th there is no right and wrong there. There's no like 
absolute final definition of exactly what happened. Uh, you know, they even even not considering simulation theory, you know, you've heard the statement, uh, history is written by the victors. So we don't really know what happened in Roman times. You know, we read books that were written by the people who won the wars and, you know, in the Middle Ages and things like that. So it's, it's kind of impossible to really know what happened and what, what history was like. Um, so all that you can really know is your subjective experience, the experience that you have right here, right now, this, this millisecond, because you don't know what's happening in the future. And, and your past can be, um, I wouldn't say fake, but it could be misleading or it could be correct. And everybody has a different sense of the past. And this is one of the, one of the things that has happened over the past couple of years. There has been some real, you know, deep science, physical research um, by, by physicists on this idea of, um, you know, uh, multiple realities existing at the same time. And it's actually been proven. Uh, I don't like to use the word prove with, with physics and with science because it's more about evidence and stuff. But the evidence is so strong um, that, it, it, you know, it's basically proven that there is no hard objective reality that we can all point to. Uh, what does fact, that mean, though? Does that mean that, like, do you think that means that, I'm sorry, I mean, uh, but I was thinking, do you mean think that means that every decision we make is a spawn of another reality? So what, if you decide something a certain way, it's going to go one way. And if you decide another way, it's going to go another way. And that's what forms our reality. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I think I think there's a, a little bit of that to it. But um, also, you know, it's, it's kind of convenient sometimes to use. Uh, video games again as an analogy because it's easy to understand that um, that medium. Uh, imagine you know a you know you're playing a video game and your friend is playing the same video game and it's a multiplayer game and you're both in the same construct, right? And and you see a, a house and he or she sees something different than a house or a tree or whatever. That would be astounding if that was in reality. But in the video game, it's all explained by the fact that you're a different person and it's software driven and it can it can project to you what it wants to project to you for whatever reason. Like maybe you have more than 60 health points so you, or spirit points or whatever. So you get to see something different that somebody else doesn't see. You know what I mean? So in that sense, in the in the video game sense, there is no true objective reality. It's just what people what your what you with your avatar is experiencing. So let's take that analogy in our real world. Our avatar is our, you know, what uh, Morpheus in the Matrix said: your uh, digital image of yourself, or something like that. Is that you know impression that you have of who you are? Um, and everybody has one of those, but it's an avatar. The real you is somewhere else behind this. This is what the simulation theory is all about. And so you may be projected a different reality than, than other people are. Could be why some people see UFOs and others don't, for example. Oh, because they're on a different timeline almost, or not even timeline, but different, just a whole different reality. Yeah. It, it, again, if you define the word reality as what you experience, I'd say every one of us has a different reality. But yeah. It, but if you try searching for something that's hard and fast, like an objective reality that we all agree upon, you're never going to get there. In fact, this year, the Nobel Prize in physics was awarded to three people who, you know, came up with ideas like that. Um, one of them, a guy named Anton Zeilinger, um, basically back in 2007, he he proved to an order of certainty of like 80 orders of magnitude, you know, like real incredible 
level of certainty that there is no objective reality. And, and that's, that's just fundamentally goes at odds with everything that everybody thought or thinks or whatever and they walk around in their life. But if you think about it, you know, it's, it's just like a video game, which is just a simulation. Yeah, it's what it seems like, right? Now, I was seeing if you could get into your book, the, the, the your your book, your first book, the universe saw versus digital consciousness. And what do you mean by digital consciousness? Um, yeah, and, and and to be honest, with that second book, I, I tried to come up with, uh, the, the, you know, the first title of my first book, Universe Solid, was kind of snarky, you know, saying, "Yeah, I got all the answers to everything." You know, of course, of course, I don't, but you know, it it was it is a a theory that explains every kind of anomaly. Um, the second book, you know, when I say digital consciousness, what I mean is, uh, you know, our consciousness is just probably complex information um, and how it's how it's encoded. I have no idea, but it, it seems that we're able to, you know, modify our reality. We're, we're able to do all the kind of things that you could do in a, in a digital system. And by the word digital, it doesn't mean fake or or artificial or anything like that. <clears throat> it just means that it's described by um, by bits. You know, when you look at a, a movie, is it described by bits or is it actually on a, you know, an analog uh, recording? You can't really tell. And the same with our reality. In fact, there have been all kinds of debates about deep, deep down in our reality. Is it digital or analog? Nobody knows for sure. My, I suspect, based on the evidence, that it is digital. And, and I think that, you know, the fundamental construct of reality is digital, which allows, it's more efficient than analog for sure. And it allows all of these strange things that we see happening like, um, you know, the quantum effects like entanglement or the Mandela effect, like you mentioned. Um, and Mandela effect, by the way, how, how could it happen? Well, the system, and if I, I talk about the system, some people might use the word God, some people might use the word all that there is, but I mean, whatever that construct of, that deep down construct of reality is, for whatever reason, it could replace your memories. It could replace all of the artifacts of something on the internet, or it could replace half of them, so it's a total conundrum, you know, or it could replace all of them, and there you have your Mandela effect. It's very, very simple to do in in software, so it's not a it's not a big deal if you accept the idea of the of the simulation argument. Do you think it's uh, the world is digital because everything kind of breaks down to numbers? Like even if you look at like the golden ratio and uh, the uh, the flower of life, the the um. All, all, the, all that like sacred geometry, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like yeah, every, yeah. you could look into esoteric stuff like that and things kind of break down into numbers, right? Yeah, I, I think I think that's that certainly is a, is a good argument. The fact that you see the same ratios in all different kinds of things. If you look at the, um, the structure of the human brain, it looks like the structure of the universe. You know, they see these same patterns over and over. And sometimes people say, it, you know, it's, it's a fractal situation, which means... You know, fractal just means the same pattern at different levels of scale. Um, but there's a ton of evidence that supports the idea that it's that it's digital. For example, um, uh, you know, the, in in physics, there's no, you, you know, no infinities. Uh, infinities are kind of prohibited. Like, for example, there's nobody observes um, uh, Hawking radiation above a certain frequency and that frequency 
is one over the Planck length. And Planck length is a quantum size, which is sort of the granularity of what, what people think matters at. Um, if our world were analog, there'd be no reason you couldn't go beyond that. You know, you could go as close to infinity as possible. The fact that in, in electrons, spin values are always this discrete number um, and, and it, an electron can immediately flip from one number to another number without going through a transitional phase um, lends itself to the idea that it's digital. I mean, I could, I could give you dozens of arguments like this. Uh, they're equations that look like they, they create reality. The big one for me is the nature of matter itself. Uh, we used to think matter was these hard, solid billiard balls, right? And type, types of atoms, you know, the Greeks thought that. We even thought that as far back as recently as maybe 1700s or something. And then, uh, then we found that, you know, an atom is mostly empty space. It's got this dense nucleus, but, you know, it's like one part, uh, you know, matter, one part stuff to mostly empty space, you know, to, to 10 to the 30th or something. Well, then that nucleus, those those particles in the nucleus, protons and neutrons, they found were also mostly empty space. You know, they're, they're, they're quarks and surrounded by lots of empty space. And then the string theorists say, well, even the quarks are mostly empty space. And so, you know, where are we going with this? There is no stuff. There's no no deep down matter at all. You know, if you accept the idea that ultimately all matter is is a, uh, it's, a it's a it's an information set that that describes something, um, then all the problems are solved, and you don't really need this stuff. So, what is weight? What is what is mass? You know, it's just a number. Um, you know, weight is the effect of of gravity, which is a force, which is rules. Yeah, if I, again, I go back to my um, video game analogy. If I'm in a video game and I get hit by something, I, I, I get that force. But nothing's really happening. All, all that's happening is a bunch of, you know, bits are flying around in the game, right? Um, so it's the, same, it, it's the same with our reality. I think all, all of these kinds of things lean, lead to the evidence that deep down our reality is digital, which is a really good reason why the simulation theory could be possible you know it we could be we could be in a fundamentally digital reality and and still not have any kind of programmatic nature to it or any softness to it where we could modify it but once it's digital it's kind of easy to modify if i can figure out a way to flip a bit then i can figure out a way to stave off my you know potential cancer or something like that yeah, yeah, that, that's so interesting. Um, now, how would you say your your theory differs from other simulation theories out there? Yeah, I mean, the, the one that is often quoted, you know, every time you read a, a Newsweek article or some you know mainstream media article, they always reference Nick Bostrom. And nothing to discredit Nick Bostrom. The guy's a brilliant guy, um, but but his idea was more like. Uh, the reality we're living in is a simulation that is run by us in the future. And I don't, I think that's probably not um, accurate. And it's also the one that Elon Musk kind of jumped on the bandwagon of. So when people talk about quote simulation theory, they often mean that, but um, that doesn't explain certain things like that doesn't explain um, any of the, the re reincarnation evidence, near death experiences, spiritual experiences. It doesn't, explain paranormal precognition, um, doesn't explain some physics like the delayed choice quantum eraser experiment. 
my it theory wouldn't, it wouldn't explain psi psi either like psychic abilities like that's something weird that we all have i think we all have it right i mean like yeah that's right yeah we, so we do yeah i agree with you and and uh the the again i i tend to look at this stuff from a scientific standpoint because it's sort of all i know i i know other people who come at these ideas from a like a deep spiritual knowing or something and i I don't really have that. I, my training is all in science and logic and mathematics, but you know, I come to the same conclusions when I look at things. And I think what happens with a lot of mainstream scientists is that these ideas upset their, the whole foundation of what all their research is based on. So they, they will make fun of it or they'll say, well, it can't be, you know, can't, there can't be these paranormal things. There can't be psychic abilities, um, you know, because there's no, physical explanation for it. Well, gosh, you know, 500 years ago, there was no explanation for half the stuff we see in the sky. Um, you know, we, we always had this, and I say we, I mean, like, science has this arrogance of thinking they've got it all figured out at any point in time. And I think it was, there was a famous scientist, it might have been Mickelson, um, back in the late 1800s, said, everything has been figured out in science, except that now all we're doing is getting more uh, more granularity, more uh, orders of magnitude of certainty about things. And then along came relativity and quantum mechanics, which just blew up science, you know? So it's really arrogant to think that that something that we can't explain, like telepathy, for example, um, can't exist because, uh, because, it, because we, we don't have, um, you know, a, a scientific foundation for it that's fine. You know, that's, that's what science should be about is like looking at real data and saying, okay, here's something that doesn't fit with our model. How do we modify the model? How do we change the model or whatever? And that's what they, that's what good open-minded scientists are doing. And, and there are some good ones out there for sure. Yeah. Um, it's that they do the same thing with ancient history too. It's like the archeologists, like the, the people who are um, in charge of like our history, the people at the Smithsonian, and this is a complete different subject, but I'm just saying it's on the same level. It seems like they want to keep things the way that is because they don't want to give up on their theories on what they thought was right. It's like, it's so hard for them to part with the ways of part with their ways of thinking and accept something new. But if you're open-minded about it, so like, for example, I'm skeptical about stuff, but it's just because I question things a lot. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, am more open-minded and I'm a believer in most things, but I I'm willing to change. And I think to advance and or, or evolve as humans or whatever we are, if we're in a simulation or even if we're biological, if we're biologically simulated, both, you know, like if it's kind of like a mix, you know, like, whatever that is you have to be willing to change to evolve right absolutely i totally agree with you and, and that you brought up archaeology that was a um you know that's always been a very uh contentious field you know i, I don't know if you know like back in gosh when was it early late 1800s maybe early 1900s something they found these cave drawings in in france southern france and um the, the mainstream archaeologists said, oh, this is just, these were just from, uh, I don't know, 5,000 years ago or something like that. And, and the theory that was put forth by like an amateur archaeologist was, no, these, these look like, you know, symbolic thinking from 30,000 years ago. And that just totally went against the mainstream archaeology so that that person was 
kind of laughed out of the, the whole field and turned out he was right. Um, and I think, you know, of course, there are times when it goes the other way, too. There are crazy theories that are proven wrong. But but I think I think in archaeology, there's a lot of strange anomalies that um, that mainstream archaeology hasn't come to terms with, for sure. One, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, I wanted to get your opinion on this. I know you come from it from a scientific perspective, but, and I think you already kind of mentioned this, but like, what do you think, like the UFOs, do you think the UFOs might be a construct of the simulation or are they actual real creatures and are they experiment? I mean, it seems like they're expert. They were experimenting on humans, right? I mean, like we almost have evidence of that, that that was going on. You know, there's a lot of people that say they've been abducted. I don't know if you're a believer in that or not. I, I tend to be, um, but I mean, I just think it's weird and like, it seems like they can, UFOs can kind of vanish in and out of our reality. They can come and go as they please. They go under the ocean. I mean, we, we might even have, I think we do have, I mean, from all the research that I've done, we do have back engineered crap, but it still thinks, well, where did you get that from? Right. We had to get it from somewhere. And, and I think we got it from a, right. What we would call aliens or whatever they are, whether they're interdimensional uh, or if they're a part of the simulation construct, like right. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, there's a lot there to, to unpack. We could go in a lot of directions. I, I tend to believe in the abduction experience too. Again, it's a subjective experience and there's no reason to discount that when there's a million people around the world that have had a, a similar thing. Um, you know, but again, it gets back to like what is real and what isn't real. Um, I had, I, I saw uh, UFOs. Um, I was with my... Uh, fiance in uh, Joshua Tree in California, and we saw um, seven uh, glowing like plasma balls just like go right in front of us, along with of the rest of the crowd. There were about a hundred people there. We all saw the same thing, and you know she she was a private pilot, so she's like, "Those are definitely not planes." You know, there's no, no landing lights, no this and that, and you know the only possibility could have been a um, like a, a, a set of drones that um, that that are not the type of drones you normally see. These didn't have like LED lights. You can tell coherent light when you look at it versus like a diffuse glowing plasma ball type of light. So these were, you know, from all intents and purposes, there they it, there was no explanation for them. Um, but it doesn't it didn't blow me away i mean i think it was cool that i had the experience but again i'll think about that that whole is because i have this idea of the simulation theory let's take this analogy back to the multiplayer video game again you're in the you're in the video game and it, it's a prehistoric game it's just dinosaurs or something like that and there's nothing in the sky nothing in the sky and then all of a sudden there's you know, one day you, you you log in, you're playing the game and with a bunch of other people and you see these glowing orbs go across the sky. Well, what would you think? <laughs> they program those in there, right? Yeah, they program those in there. Or maybe maybe there's some a character that has figured out how to make their avatar look like a glowing orb and fly. You know, one of those two yeah. things. But either way, you wouldn't be blown away by that idea. It's because it's a video game. Or, so, or we're creating them with our mind, right? Did you ever think of that? That we're creating them with our with our consciousness. That they're like a, a thought of our imagination. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, it, it could be that. Um, so I tend to think that they're the ones that I saw. Anyway, I kind of felt like there was an intelligence behind it. 
Um, is it a free will intelligence or is it an AI type of intelligence? I don't know. And, and by the way, I explore a lot of this in, in a book that I just finished and I'm uh, kind of anxious to uh, get it out pretty soon. What is it um, called? Uh, it's called Level 5 and uh, it's fiction. So I've never written a fiction book before. I only wrote nonfiction and uh, I got challenged to do it. <laughs> I, I, it actually, I didn't think I could do a fiction book, but I actually... Uh, had a lot of fun writing it, and and I'm I'm very excited about it. So, do you think once you put it out, we could we could go over it, and if you would want to, and we could like kind of promote the book? Because I'd love to help you do that. Like, it seems like a really you have really cool ideas. It sounds like it's about a video game, right? Like it level because the name of it, level five. It sounds like or like a video game reality. Is that kind of where we're going with that? No, no, I, I and I can't talk too much about it because because um, because it hasn't been published yet. Um, I'm just getting it edited now, but. Um, it, it's it's more like a, a regular reality that a bunch of people are having, but it they they have experiences that are explained by a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about tonight. And there yeah. are yeah, there are UFOs in it. <laughs> um, Tom Campbell calls consciousness organized data, which makes me think if reality is digital, could everything already be predetermined, or can you just I'm reading off my notes here, or can you just figure it out? like when we remote view things, like you, you can kind of tap into the Akashic records, even if it's digital, you could do that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Cause your consciousness is digital. So all it's receiving is a stream of information. I mean, your brain is just receiving a stream of information in that way too. Like when, when you look at something, what does that mean? What are you actually seeing? Um, you're seeing a whole bunch of like little blips of signals, little electrical signals in your in your in your brain but really what you're perceiving is uh information that, that's all it is and he by the way uh tom campbell and i i think have probably the closest to each other on view of the simulation i i like his his point of view is very similar to mine we wrote our books like in parallel um there was another guy uh, stephen kaufman that also wrote a similar uh, book in parallel it's like we all had these ideas at the same time um, but they're all very very similar so so i like i like his view too um about the uh, organized information yeah um so let me ask you this um if you suggest our reality is virtual or illusionary that isn't all what we think or how 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 is there evidence for that or did we already talk about that like or i'm not sure if we did um so so the illusory nature of it i mean we think that that's the kind of physics that I mentioned before, the guys that got the Nobel Prize. They they proved that there's no objective reality. So what does that mean? It's just subjective, which which is the illusion. Um, yeah. And what's interesting to me is that this is not at all a new idea. You know, the the Greeks talked about like Plato's cave and, um, you know, those kind of things. And the ancient Hindus had the concept of Maya. Um, and so these ideas about, our reality being illusory have been around forever. Um, you know, why would some people think that? And I think what happens is the uh, mystical experiences, what, what, what happens when you have a mystical experience is you're tapping into a different reality. You brought up dreams earlier, same thing. I think when you dream, you're in a free form uh, reality. I call it super reality. It's, it's a bigger construct of what our little, earth-based reality is like and um so 
so so when, when you're in that reality, you have access to different kinds of information, maybe different kinds of entities. Maybe you can learn a little bit more about what's really behind it. You know, like, you know, what is what about this reincarnation idea? What about, uh, um, you know, and, and when you and so the people who have been able to do that, you know, Muhammad was one, uh, the, the Buddha was one, Oprah Winfrey was one, you know, lots of people, uh, Edgar Mitchell, uh, astronomer. Had, had a mythical experience when he was coming back from Apollo 14, I think. So when you have these kinds of experiences, the realization you get when you have the experience is the same thing that, you know, the ancients talked about. So all that has to happen in a society is some people who are open-minded to have the experience, write about it, carry that tradition on. And now here we look back at it and say, oh, my God, over thousands and thousands of years, over all these cultures, they all talked about reincarnation. They all talked about being part of one. They all talked about, you know, the apparent reality that we live in being illusory uh, and there being a, you know, a, a more a deeper reality beyond that. So it's not it's not a new idea. Um, I think the thing that like Tom Campbell and I bring to this maybe is that we have more of an explanation for it now. And, and if you, if you have that explanation, the simulation concept, then you can kind of explain a lot of other things like the quantum mechanics anomalies, like entanglement and quantum Zeno effect and stuff like that. And, and even Mandela effect and things that happen in everybody's lives, all of a sudden they start to make a little bit more sense. Yeah. I was going to ask you, like, what do you think about the law of attraction and the fact that we can somewhat like bend our reality to our, or bend our, reality to the way we we want it like do you think that's a part of like being in a simulated reality like being able to touch out into the whatever that is our consciousness and and then and that makes me think also is like do you think that consciousness is just coming from somewhere like like it's an information stream like like our brains are a modem and general gerald clark the author gerald clark used to call us meat modems like because he would say our brain is a filter for the stream of consciousness that's coming in from somewhere do you yeah, agree I with like that? That. yeah, I do. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I uh, make that analogy in, in one of my books about the, um, you know, it's like a TV, you know, you put a, you know, a TV is like, oh, wow, all this programming is coming from inside of the TV. Well, no, it's not. It's coming through some stream of information somewhere, either over the air or through the cable in the wall. Um, but it's, it's not coming, it's not being generated inside the TV. And if you put uh, you know, probes on it, oscilloscopes or electrical probes or whatever, you'd be like, oh, okay, look, see, you know, the fact that there's electrical signals here inside the TV proves that consciousness or, or that this programming originates inside the TV. And that's what a lot of neurologists do. They put probes in people's brains and they say, okay, well, you know, this person's going to sleep and this lit up this part of the brain. Therefore, we prove that consciousness comes from the brain. Now, you didn't prove that at all. You know, all, all you prove that you is that the brain is working, you know? So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you that it's a, it's a stream of information. That's cool. And then, and then one of the last questions I have is, is uh, um, if our reality is the way we, we think it is, that, or you say it is, what does that mean for us? Like, what does that mean we are then? Or what would you say? Um, uh, see, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a really good question. Like, what, what, what does it, you know, mean kind of for our day-to-day -day lives? Um, you know, one thing is certainly if you recognize that you're going to reincarnate and that you, your soul is essentially immortal, 
then maybe you're not going to worry so much about having to compete with the rest of the world for a limited set of resources or something, you know, like our, our whole culture is all about competition. You know, I know it's crazy. I was just talking to my girlfriend about that. It seems like I, I don't want to be in that anymore. I don't want to be in that world where they want you to have, like, it's like this whole system set up for you to like get stuck in money traps and like, Absolutely. and then, and then uh, compete with the rest of the world. It's like, everybody's like, who has a bigger stick competition? If you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like, it's, it's ridiculous. You know what I mean? It's like, and they, they indoctrinate this into us, into our brains. And it's, it's so negative. Like it's, it's so, it's so the opposite of where I want to be. You know what I mean? I, I agree. And, and, and who benefits from it is very few people, you know, the, the rank and file that work at, at Amazon, for example, aren't getting that much more out of out of their lives, you know, by, you know, going through what they have to go through. Uh, but Jeff Bezos is getting a ton, you know, like there are certain certain people at the tops of the pyramid love this whole system because they're getting a huge benefit about it out of it. But the ninety nine point nine percent of us don't really get a benefit. You know, we 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 don't need to really compete in that way, you know, and, and this whole H plus, uh, you know, singularity movement, uh, I think is, is flawed in that sense too, because it's, it's the idea that, well, we, we want to make ourselves immortal and we want to, um, upload our consciousness to the cloud and stuff like that. It's like, you don't have to, your consciousness is already immortal. You know, like you're, yeah. you're wasting all this time and energy trying to do something. Why, why don't you just relax and, and learn some, some lessons and read some books and, and, and do some thinking and interact with people um, you know, and have a rewarding life instead of all that other stuff. So, so I think that that will, you know, if, if you believe in this idea, you're going to have a more peaceful, harmonious worldview. Um, you'll also probably treat people better and you'll treat animals better and with generosity and respect because they have consciousness too. They're just maybe, a, you know, a lesser complexity of consciousness, like Tom Campbell would say. They're, they're actually even taking the, the everything, they're taking the physicality out of everything, Jim. Like they're, I, I was just, before I, before I sent you the Zoom link before the show, I was taking a walk because I needed to get away from the computer. So I was, because I, I wanted to get like out because I've been doing so many podcasts. It's crazy. But like, so I was on the phone with my girlfriend and I didn't even want to be on the phone, but I just felt like I needed to just get out. But I was, we were talking about this whole system, like kind of like what we were just talking about. And she mentioned that even art, is getting away they're like they're they're starting to make more nfts as compared to physical art that you can own and and that someone like take take took the time to make now it's just going to be more of a digital image and they're they're doing that with everything they're just going to try to make everything less physical and i don't like that i like the physical i grew up in the physical world it's more i I like things that are more tangible i guess does that make sense or i don't know no i think it makes sense And, and i think there's there's room for both like I kind of get NFTs. If you see something that's really beautiful and maybe it's a even three dimensional or it's a video or whatever, you can appreciate it for what it, what it is. Um, but if you like painting and you get, you know, you get a reward out of painting things, then that's great too. You know, why, why can't we have, uh, have both? both. You know? Yeah. That's, that's perfect. Cause we can, we can live in a world of technology, but those of us who want to live in a more physical world can still have our physical world. Like we don't all have to up, upload our brains to the cloud. Right. I mean, that that's, that's going a little bit too far, like you said. Yep. And, 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 and one final point about, you know, you asked how, how this whole theory might kind of change the world or change your point of view. If, if you're not in competition for resources, 
why would we ever have wars again? You know, and think about the damage that, that wars have done to cultures and indigenous cultures and what, what uh, you know, corporate, uh, you know, objectives have done to indigenous cultures, rainforests and here and there. Um, you know, the, the amount of suffering that didn't have to happen if you realize that you're not really in competition for everything um, would be tremendous. I've heard through, you know, I heard I was listening to someone talking. I don't know much about this, so I can't comment on it. But someone said the other day that World War One and World War Two were basically bankers wars. You know, that that, they, they, that, that it was bankers fighting over. I, I don't know. I think it was a little bit more involved than that, because I think, you know, it was like Hitler was going crazy and he needed, you know, there's a whole thing there. But like, you know, we got all their scientists and then. I think that's how we got this reverse engineered craft and getting into that. I'm just thinking about stuff now that we're thinking if we have that, that would mean we have free energy, but, you know, if we have anti-gravitic craft, so why aren't they showing us that either? You know what I mean? It's like, it, it's that, that could change the world. If we, we would have, we didn't have to live off fossil fuels, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, again, who, who benefits from that would be us, but not the people at the top of the pyramid. So that's why it doesn't happen. Yeah, it's it's really crazy, right? I mean, um, I'm I'm trying to think. I, well, is there anything else? I'll give you the four. Like before you promote anything, is there anything else you want to cover on the simulation theory before we finish up for tonight? No, I think we covered a lot of great topics. I'll tell you, you know, uh, psychic phenomena, the finely tuned universe, Mandela effects, all that. Um, real good. Uh, you know, I I, ha I have a blog. I, I try to put like supporting evidence for these things and, and real research that goes on that supports it all. And over the past 14 years, uh, actually I started my first book probably 2005. So I'd say it's more than 15 years now. Um, it's just been nothing but reinforcing research. There's been nothing that has come up that doesn't fit into this idea and doesn't reinforce it. So I'm, I'm convinced, uh, you know, pretty convinced they are, they what does the scientific community think? Didn't you just win some kind of award for this or, or for your ideas on simulation theory? No, no, no. Um, I, I think uh, that might have been misinterpreted. When I sent you an email, I, I, I mentioned that there was a Nobel Prize given for, um, you know, the uh, the work that was done that, that proved there was no objective reality. Um, even even there, if you you see what they said when they gave the award, it was for, quote, experiments with entangled photons, establishing the violation of Bell inequalities and pioneering quantum information science. But really what it meant was it just called into question, you know, everything about reality, which I think is I think it's great. You know, it was such a great award given to those three guys uh, that really pioneered a lot of this stuff. That's awesome. That it really is. Um, that this is this has been amazing. I I really always enjoy our conversations. Like I love having you on the show. It's always so much fun. If you could tell everybody where, where to find your books, where to find your, and if you want to tell them the name of your books and your website, and, and thank you again, Jim. This was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Rob. Um, and uh, yeah, the first book was called The Universe Solved. The second book was called Digital Consciousness. Um, I recommend if you're going to pick one book, pick the second one because it um, is kind of a little bit of a superset maybe of, uh, of the first one. Um, I have a website called theuniversesolved.com. Um, and, uh, you know, honestly, there's not a whole lot new on the website other than my blog. Um, probably about 100 blog posts there that explore a lot of these ideas. And there is a forum there where, you know, people do interact and talk about some of their 
paranormal experiences and some of their Mandela effects and things like that. And that's kind of cool too. So, um, you know, feel free to, to join that and, um, you know, see you guys on, on the site. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, uh, thank you again. And, uh, yeah, 